hits all the time. We're busting ours. Kick yours. Fun to watch. Minus 15. Respect all, fear none. Into the upper deck. Intensity is not a perfect. Oh, mercy. Five, four, three, two, one. Welcome into the Mass and All Access podcast, everybody from the Mass and Newsroom. Bobby Blanco and Amy Jennings here with you, taking you up to the holiday season. Uh, Thanksgiving is exactly a week away, and then of course we get into the December holidays. Exciting time of year. Hopefully everyone's staying safe and warm back at home as the weather is changing. Here at Mass and we're getting kind of back to a normal off type of off season. We have uh, Brendan Mortensen behind the board. He's back locally with us. Having moved back down from his hometown, um, I have moved as well. Uh, Amy, I got to move That's out right. of my parents' basement. Finally, uh, we were quarantining there, and I moved back to DC, which is exciting. Having my own space uh, with my girlfriend now, so that is exciting. So a little more sense of normalcy as we kind of hopefully close out 2020 <laughs> on a high note because the rest of the year has not been that great. How'd the move go? Moving, move was. Uh. I don't know why people don't use movers all the time. I have never used movers. To move, I've moved in three different locations. Mm. This is now my fourth different location in D.C. since 2015. Of course, college. I didn't go very far. to. You know, we both went to Maryland. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I never really felt the need to spend on movers. But this time we were moving from three different locations. I had my old place in D.C., a bunch of stuff at my parents' house in Maryland. Uh, my girlfriend had a, um, all her stuff in storage in, in okay. Maryland. So we just figured it was probably just smarter to save time and energy, spend a little more on movers, and it was just so worth it. It was absolutely worth it. The best money we spent. They packed up and unloaded all my stuff from my previous DC location to my new one in under three hours. They took apart my bed frame and reassembled it in the new- Nothing was hurt, nothing nothing was was injured. Actually, that's not true. Did break my record player. The needle, I think it was just the needle though. The needle kind of snapped, hopefully can get a replacement. I was gonna get a new one, uh, coming up, maybe find, a, find excuse, one on a Black, right? fri- uh, Black Friday. Yeah, Black Friday, I say. But it's still functional. I just need a new needle for it, I hope. So okay. other than that, seamless, Good. so smooth, um, stress-free, um, mass and all access, massive newsroom. We're getting back to normal somehow, hopefully right. again finishing this year off to a normal. How, how, are you, how was your week, Amy? It's been a quick week. It's already this, Thursday. We delayed our podcast today. The weeks today. are flying by. I, I guess the weekends always go quicker, but it just seems like the weeks are flying by. It's Monday, and I'm like, oh, it's Monday again. But then it's Friday next time I blink. So I had a good week. It's gone, gone super quick. I'm not. I'm, like, dreading the cold weather. I have my sweater on today. Bobby has his sweater on. Mm-hmm. I'm glad you moved before it started to get cold. That was the um, whole thing. That would have been a bad time of year to move. So glad you got settled in. And um, it's been a good week. Good week, but not ready for the cold weather. Yeah. Well, we have some actual news to talk about before we get into. A lot of news, yeah. Actually. There's a whole bunch with the national specifically and then across Major League Baseball. Um, we're going to touch on the, the, the chunk of our podcast this week is going to be looking back at the decade's worth of draft. The NBA draft, of course, was last night. Got us to thinking. Um, obviously, we're a couple months removed from the baseball draft. Mm-hmm. Uh, But we're going to look back at, and we touched on it in previous episodes, talking about Mike Rizzo's tenure and how he's drafted. But now we're going to go do a deep dive into the Nationals draft, particularly the last five ones, uh, five drafts, and look at the prospects that the Nationals have added to their farm system, how they've developed them, how they've used them to not only improve the team on the major level, but 
uh, through development, but also through trades and stuff like that. So we're going to get into that. But, but first, the Nationals did make a signing, adding to their bullpen. Uh, Sam Clay, a lefty reliever who was previously with the Twins, uh, comes over to D.C. just the other day. He met with the media um, the day of. Seems like a really bright, talkative kid. He knows what he wants. He knows what he uh, kind of he's, – he's done this before. You know, he spent mm-hmm. his entire league in the minor league process – um, he, he knows his offseason regimen. He's excited to join a, a pitching staff like the Nationals uh, and, and a t- an organization that obviously um, prioritizes pitching. Um, and, and another lefty that the Nationals will add to their bullpen, which, assuming Sean Doodle leaves this offseason in free agency, is something they were going to need. Yeah, exciting to see see them get a lefty in there. You know, we're looking at all these top prospects, all of their draft picks, and almost every single one of them is a right-handed pitcher. So exciting to see uh, a lefty in there. He hasn't made his MLB debut debut yet. Um, but, you know, you're looking at this, you're looking at his stats. What really jumps off the board for me is that in 2019, he led the major leagues with a 71.3% ground ball rate. He didn't give up a single home run in 2019 and gave up just one since 2017 in 188 innings he gave up just one home run Mm -hmm. so that that just jumps out at me um and is exciting to see yeah and he led all the major league baseball or excuse me minor league baseball in 2019 with a ground ball rate uh so your typical lefty-handed reliever getting ground balls getting outs um crafty lefties i'm sure as many people are going to describe him so a good pickup, and we've seen this before. Just the last year, the Nationals picked up Kyle Finnegan in a similar situation, a guy who was a career-long minor leaguer. They give a major league contract to. Kyle Finnegan came over from the A's organization uh, from the year before, and he panned out well, really well for this Nationals bullpen. He was such a bright spot in, the, in a down year for the Nationals, something to look forward to as maybe a mainstay in the later half of this bullpen for years to come. Hopefully – this guy, Sam Clay, kind of turns into the same thing uh, in a similar situation. Uh, moving on, and other just notes um, to, to touch yeah. on before we get into the major uh, portion of the podcast. Uh, early this morning, that's Thursday morning, Byron Kerr, of our own Byron Kerr on MassInSports.com, confirming reports that the Nationals have an agreement to make their triple, uh, AAA affiliate in Rochester, New York. That is big news, especially considering that the Nationals in 2019 and what was supposed to be 2020 were going to be all the way out in Fresno, California. That uh, contract expired at the end of this past season. The Nationals now moving their AAA affiliate back to the East Coast, which is a major upgrade and helps this team out exponentially. This is this is great to see. We might see Sam Clay there. Yeah. Um, this year. So it, this is great. The move out to Fresno was difficult on so many levels. Um, it didn't make a whole lot of sense to have, have just one of your minor league teams all the way out in California when the rest are right around here. Um, it, and it will be especially important in this season coming up because COVID is still going to be around. Right. Um, it's not realistic to have guys flying back and forth across the country when they get moved up to the big league roster. Uh, so this is really exciting to see their AAA affiliate back on the East Coast and maybe get to see Sam Clay make some appearances there and hopefully move up move up to the bigs. Yeah, and, and I think, like you mentioned, being on the same coast, I mean, New York is still kind of far away, but like the Nationals made it do when Syracuse was their AAA affiliate for all those years before they moved over to the Mets. They were looking at Richmond, but the report yesterday came down that the Giants, the San Francisco Giants, are keeping that Richmond site as their AA affiliate, which doesn't really make – I mean, I don't know why this is not a, some more simpler process for keeping your minor league affiliates in yeah. the same time zone. I don't know why the Giants need to come over. We see a lot of West Coast teams have their affiliates um, – in, in the South region on the East Coast, uh, up and down the East Coast. It makes no sense to me. It needs to be easier, easier way to do this. So 
uh, it's good to see that the Nationals are able to get everybody on the same time zone, same coast. Yep. It'll be easier to get guys to and from, assuming, like you said, like oh, we have a regular uh, baseball season coming up. Uh, and it's good to see that there are cities and towns getting minor league organizations that are able to play, hopefully, yeah. you know, because we know that uh, that's kind of been up in the air uh, for a lot of cities and, and clubs moving forward in the minor leagues. Um, so it's a good one to see that we're adding one. Um, that the Nationals will be able to benefit from. More just wrapping up notes. Um, actually, just this kind of came out. ESPN released their opening day broadcast schedule for 2021. The Nationals, once again, will be featured on national TV uh, to start the season. They will open the Mets at 7 o'clock, against the Mets, rather, hosting the Mets at 7 o'clock on ESPN. Uh, it's funny to me that the two basement dwellers in the NL right. East get the national <laughs> attention on opening day, but two major markets, of course, the Mets, uh, have a new ownership group that are looking to be very active this in free agency this offseason. Uh, they will be without Robinson Cano, who we just found out was also suspended for the entire 2021 season yep. for another failed drug test. So uh, there'll be some drama on South Capitol Street, uh, assuming, between these two rivals to start off the 2021 season. Yep, we, we keep saying it. Baseball's not short of drama on 2021 or headed into – or in 2020, headed into 2021. And hopefully all goes to plan. Um, you know, they, they can open up the season when they're supposed to. And on ESPN, exciting, get you excited for baseball. You all have to wait a couple of days to hear Bob and FP on the broadcast. And, of course, uh, the Dambo show leading up to uh, and recapping the game on Masson. But still exciting. And, and it's mm-hmm. always exciting for me and for us, I think, for Nationals fans to see their team get the national spotlight right. uh, primetime slot on opening day. That'd be really exciting, like they did this past season we against. To keep our fingers um, crossed, everything goes to plan. <laughs> yeah. Spring training goes to plan, and it all works out. Yeah. All right. Well, let's talk about it. Like I said, NBA draft last night got us thinking about baseball draft and the history that the Nationals have been able to add via the draft. This is going to be strictly the players that they have drafted over the past decade. Of course, Amy, the, the big names you think of first, starting back in 2009, Steven Strasburg, then Bryce Harper, Anthony Rendon. More recently, Jackson Rutledge this past year, Kate mm-hmm. Cavalli, who we had on the podcast over the summer. Um, the Nationals have a great history of drafting well in the first round. Uh, they find their guy. Um, we know their type of guy, power starting pitchers. And um, they've drafted 10, starting, or, uh, 10 pitchers, starting with Steven Strasburg in 2009, mm-hmm. uh, in their, with their first round pick since then. Only Bryce Harper, Anthony Rendon, Brian Goodwin, and um, Carter Keboom were the only non-pitchers yeah. that they were took in the first round. They did not have first-round picks in 13 or 14. This is Mark Rizzo's bread and butter. This is who he targets every single year. We know this. He wants starting pitching. He wants power guys, and that's how he builds this organization. Yeah, and, you know, you look back at, at the first half of this past decade, they really couldn't go wrong. I mean, Steven Strasburg, Bryce Harper, Anthony Rendon, I mean, just huge pieces of that Nationals team. And, and it's not it's, – it's a little bit easier when you're picking in the top of the first round versus the second half of the first round. They haven't had quite the same success – Um, in their picks late in the first round some of them it's difficult to tell obviously in the recent years it's too soon to tell whether those those picks will pan out Um, they've found great success when they picked early on not the same success when they pick late but we know one thing is they like to take pictures they like to take pictures pictures (laughs) pictures um, uh, and they like to take them early yeah and adding to that list Lucas Giolito who of course they shipped off to the White Sox for Adam Eaton 
Um, Eric Fetty currently with the team has played a role as either a spot starter or a long relief out of the bullpen. Carter Keyboom is supposed to be the heir apparent, not a pitcher, but another high profile first round pick. The heir apparent to uh, Anthony Rendon at third base. That's still mm-hmm. up in the air very much. Um, has hit 181 over the course of two seasons, has only collected three extra base hits. We did see an improvement slightly in the defensive side this year from Carter Keyboom, but the bat still hasn't lived up to the expectation that I think that Mike Rizzo was envisioning when they drafted him um, back in 2016. Dane Dunning, also a part of that Lucas Giolito trade the year he was drafted out of the University of Florida in 2016. And then the last three years, Mason Denenberg, Jackson Rutledge, Kate Cavalli, those are all guys that you see in the Nationals top ranks of their prospects in a farm system that like we've mentioned them before on the show is last in all the baseball according to MLB pipeline the, the the pundits are not very high on the nationals farm system and you know you go back eight or so years the nationals were one of the best in all of baseball because you had guys like Strasburg Harper Rendon come through and then you had Fetty Giolito in the waiting um that's not the same anymore Amy and and and, and Mike Rizzo takes that to heart. He really, of course, he's a scout. He prides himself on being able to find talent in the draft, in the international market, bolster that farm system. Um, This is a pretty strong turning point for this franchise in that you're coming off a World Series victory. Obviously, you'll take that over anything. Um, But you have a lot of older veterans on this team. It's not going to look the same in 2022 or even in 2021 next year, but definitely two or three years down the line, we're going to have a lot of new faces on this team. How do they remain competitive? And are these recent draft picks, which we'll dive in in a second, going to be able to come up through the system to the major league level Mm -hmm. and be able to uh, contribute at a high level? And we've talked about it a lot on this podcast. You have to be able to draft just as well as, as you're able to go out and sign free agents. And you never want to be the team that wins the World Series and then the next year finishes last in their division, which we saw we, we saw at the Nationals. You want to be consistent. You want to be constantly replenishing your farm system. Um, and the Nationals are kind of at that point where they it's do or die. They need to do that now or they're going to be forced to rebuild, which they haven't had to do yet. Um, and part of that could be, this kind of lack in the farm system, top-rated prospects right now, is is because over the last five years they've had a lot of their earlier draft picks, trade big big key pieces and tra- mm-hmm. I cannot speak today. Oh my gosh, <laughs> Good thing it's a speaking platform. Yeah. That's okay. The <laughs> um, big key pieces and trade. So that I think that's part of it. You look back at 2016. You look at this draft class. Um, they got. So, so traded away so many of these guys, which shows a lot of value. It doesn't reflect in their farm system and their farm system ranking right now, but it does reflect on how they won the World Series. Yeah. I mean, you look at these guys that were part, Dane Dunning, you talked about part of the Adam Eaton trade. Then you go to Sheldon Noose and Jesus Lazardo, um, who, you know, Jesus Lazardo has performed extremely well, not mm-hmm. with the Nationals, but they got back Sean Doolittle and Ryan Matson in that trade. Um, then you look at Daniel Johnson. He was part of the Jan Gomes trade. All of those guys were key pieces on their World Series teams, and it shows that they had they had value in these, these picks. Yeah, Mike Rizzo has done a really good job of building the farm system from where it was when he received it and then utilizing it mm-hmm. as both as keying in on guys who are – Guys definitely be part of the future coming up for the organization and then guys who they can kind of offer and trade deals to at the deadline and make their team immediately uh, better for a stretch playoff run or for the long term. Like Doolittle had multiple years of control left, and so he was a, had to give up more for them, but it turned out because Doolittle was 
one of the best relievers, 2020 excluded, that the Nationals had. Right. Um, and, and they're closer for a couple of seasons. Let's actually <laughs> read a statement from Mike Rizzo right now, actually, uh, while we're talking about him, because we just touched on the uh, Rochester uh, news from this morning. The Nationals just made it official uh, via a statement, literally as we're recording right now live on Facebook and YouTube. A statement from Mike Rizzo via the Nationals. We are very excited to partner with the Rochester Red Wings to have our AAA affiliate back in the region. The Red Wings are a well-built, well-run organization that will be an asset to our player development system. We are proud to be a part of a Rochester, New York's rich baseball tradition that dates back to the late 1800s. So there you go. The Nationals make it official. Uh, Rochester will be the AAA site for the uh, the Nationals, uh, at least from 2021 and moving forward, back on the East Coast. Some of these guys we're going to touch on right now could very well be there mm-hmm. and going back and forth between there and D.C. over the next couple of years. Um, back to the draft talk, though, Amy, sorry to cut you off there you and, and, and change the thought process, but let's go back to the five years ago and, and work our way back towards the present and talk about some guys who have been drafted. You know, obviously the baseball draft is – one of them is the biggest draft of all the major sports. You're not going to – you draft so many guys on a normal season. Obviously, there's only five rounds this past year. But you're, you're going to have so many names. You're not going to see everybody even make a minor league team uh, and being part of the organization, nonetheless, make it to the major leagues. So we did some research on a couple of names that a lot of them are going to be household names if you're a Nationals fan. Some of them you might, oh, yeah, I didn't know that. I remember him, or I, I didn't know he was drafted that mm-hmm. late or in that year. So there are a couple. 2016, and it's going to be interesting because the names, the, the amount of names per each year are going to go down as we get closer, obviously, um, and 2020 being excluded because there's only mm-hmm. five rounds. But, you know, you're going to be more familiar with the guys from 2016 because there are going to be a handful of guys who have made the major league level or higher in the Nationals prospect system. So starting in 2016, of course, the back-to-back first uh, round picks at number 28 and number 29 overall, Carter Keeboom and Dane Dunning. We touched on them. Carter Keeboom is supposed to be the third baseman of the future. We still don't know. Dane Dunning was shipped later that year uh, to Chicago for Adam Eaton. Um, those are two examples of what we talked about, how Mike Rizzo, you know, he needed an infielder. You have back-to-back pitch picks in the late round. Might as well take one of each, right? A, a position player and a pitcher. doesn't really matter in which order. Uh, and then immediately flip Dane Dunning and has held on to Carter Keeboom, even though he's been a name that's come up in trade talks uh, more often than not over the past couple of years since he's joined the organization. Yeah, and Carter Keeboom, you know, came up as a shortstop. And there's been a couple other guys that came up as middle infielders. And he's he, he likes those kind of guys that can play multiple positions. And then he can kind of turn them into what he wants. Um, you saw that with Trey Turner. He wasn't necessarily going to be a shortstop to begin with. You know, Mike Rizzo kind of turned him in and said, this is your position. He's now we, we see the same thing with Carter Keeboom. He says, you know, you're the third baseman of the future. Um, so you see that success. He's, he's your starting third baseman at the major league level. That's what you want to see out of your, your, your first, first overall pick. Yep. And then Dane Dunning, of course, getting value out of him in that Adam Eaton trade. Yep. Sheldon Noose, Jesus Lazardo, we talked about it, included in the trade. Uh, those were the uh, second and third round picks that season. They're both included in the trade in 2017 for Sean Doolittle and Ryan Matson over to the A's. Mm-hmm. Noose is currently the A's fifth overall prospect. Jesus Lazardo, of course, received Rookie of the Year votes uh, this past season, has been really good for that A's bullpen. Um, and, you know, I know Nationals fans look over him and like, we could have used him, but, you know, where would this team be without the Would'd last three back? years of yep. Sean Doolittle? And even 2017 without Ryan Matson uh, and that playoff push, even though it didn't end up the way he wanted. Daniel Johnson, we talked about, he was in the trade uh, uh, that brought over Jan Gomes in, tw- in uh, I think it was the winter of 2018. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, 
that's kind of up in the air. We don't have to get too deep into that trade. I would say it panned out mm-hmm. because Jan Combs ended up catching yep. the final out of Game 7 of the World Series. Um, and Daniel Johnson's only the Indians' 16th-ranked prospect right now. He hasn't really elevated that much in, in the season. He's a center fielder, projected seven and a fifth overall, I mean, a, a fifth-round pick. So that might not be, you know, that's hard to evaluate right now. I think both sides are probably fine with it. Jan Gomes's career in Cleveland was winding down and, and worked out best for both sides. Then you get later, and these are some names that the Nationals fans might recognize mm-hmm. more. Seventh-round pick Jake Knoll, drafted as a second baseman, might be a first baseman of the future, um, he's actually come on in, in limited action, only 15 games, hit 276, um, showed a pretty good bat uh, when the Nationals needed him coming out. I think it was late in 2018 that he, he made his debut. Then following that in the 18th round, uh, Ben Bramer. And this is a guy that we saw just this year. So he was drafted in the 18th round of 2016, left-handed pitcher. Uh, only made, he's made, he made his debut this year, only made three, uh, appeared in three games, one star, but a 1-2-3 ERA Pretty solid, especially for a left-handed guy that the Nationals, you know, besides Patrick Corbin and Sean Duo, didn't really have any lefties working for them this this year. They tried out a couple new ones, um, and Ben Bramer was one of them, and he was a bright spot, a find, really, in the late rounds in that 2016 draft. Yeah, we talked about earlier this year, there were a couple names that came out of that bullpen, a couple younger guys that were exciting to see, and Ben Bramer was one of them. And then if you remember Sterling Sharp, yeah. uh, taken by the Marlins in last year's Rule 5 draft, and then of course returned to the Nationals this August. Um, he right now is the Nationals' 24th overall prospect. Guy who bounced back and forth, um, had a wild year. I remember we talked to him on Mass and All Access uh, spring training 2018, I think it was, um, and then he was gone, and then mm-hmm. he came back, or uh, maybe it was 2019. But yeah, and, and that's a guy that Nationals fans, that might that name might ring a bell because, like the recent news, he just rejoined the organization. Uh, he's listed as a, as a top prospect. Uh, he did not do well at the major league level no. in his debut <laughs> with the Marlins, an ERA, I think around 13, um, in just a couple of games. But just clearly what guy that wasn't ready. And maybe we look at these guys that like a Ben Bramer, who's in the same draft class, who was brought up the right way. He took four years in the minor league system and then debuted and looked really solid. Maybe that's something that Sterling Sharp needs as well, just a little more further development. Yeah, and that's important, developing pitchers and and bringing them up at the right time. That's really important. We know that Mike Rizzo isn't afraid to hurry up. Um, Hurry up, guys, but especially in the outfielders. That's Mm -hmm. where you see him, guys coming up in a hurry. Not so much with these pitchers. They need a little bit more time to develop. Um, especially the younger guys, guys that you're taking out of high school. Um, but it's it's a lot about timing, and you have to bring them up at the right time. And you see that with Ben Bramer, potentially Sterling Sharp, not so much. He needs a little more little more experience, but we, we don't know what's to come from him. That's an interesting uh, thought aspect, too, of this all, is, is the approach that Mike Rizzo takes, how he's different when it comes to pitcher versus position player. You know, he's very cautious with his pitchers because, again, he has more value personally in pitchers than Decision players. He's not afraid to bring up a Carter Keeboom, a Juan Soto, a Luis Garcia, maybe earlier than it's projected that he would approach. There's a little more hesitant there when it comes to pitchers, and he takes more value in them. He wants them to develop. He's not going to rush a pitcher to throw him at the major league level if he doesn't think he's ready. Right. This goes back all the way to Steven Strasburg. He's a little different because he was a clear number one overall pick, stud, but he didn't make his appearance until the following summer. Um, and, and, uh, and obviously the shutdown in 2012 – they just prioritize pitchers, not just in terms of how they draft and develop 
and build their team around them, but also how they take care of them. Mm-hmm. Not saying that they don't care or not, don't take care of their position players, but it is interesting to think of how he protects pitchers maybe a little more, maybe a little more hesitant to throwing them into the fire in the major league level than they are position players. Yeah, you know, I talked to Harrisburg's pitching coach, Sam Nairn, earlier this week, and I was kind of talking to him about what's the timeline on these guys? Is the timeline... Uh, different but from a high school guy to, to a college guy are you expecting quicker results from a college guy and he said it's not so much that it's just that you know, high school guys aren't used to these the, these situations you know being thrown into the fire just like you said whereas college guys kind of have more experience they're kind of on more of a strict regimen and um so it just kind of pans out that way it's not necessarily going into it you know this is the timeline for a college guy and this is a timeline for, for a high school guy yeah so let's go no, 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 I was going to say, let's, let's go to seven, 2017. Yep. You know, we're talking about this, this trade value. Uh, we look at Kyle Johnson, who they got in the sixth round, right-handed pitcher. Um, and they ended up trading him to the Blue Jays in 2019 at the deadline and got Daniel Hudson back for yep. him. Um, so that's another guy. We, we look at him and we look at him for his trade value. And it turns out being a, a smart pick because – you got Daniel Hudson back and you couldn't run the World Series without him. And I think that's something that Mike Rizzo will then, if you ask him, would attribute to the scouting department. You know, his scouts, um, I'm guessing, would told him that Daniel Hudson is the right guy for this team right now. Uh, you don't, I'm my, if I recall correctly, my guess is what they weren't planning on using him as a closer as much as they did end up having to use because mm-hmm. of the Sean Doodle's injury and and Daniel Hudson has been on record multiple times saying he doesn't want to be the closer but he end, right. end up having to be that role anyways so it was a guy that we don't have to pay that heavily for but he can still help us you look at Kyle Johnston right-handed pitcher he took in the sixth round he's not even ranked in the Blue Jays top 30 of their prospects now their farm system is really good right now don't right. get me wrong so it's hard to crack that top 30 but they gave up a six-round pick that is not projected to make the major league level anytime soon for a guy who helped you win a World Series um, and finally get over the hump and is now going to be around for a couple more years, uh, maybe at the tail end of his career, this best years left that he has in his mm-hmm. career, uh, obviously a two-Tommy John guy uh, and Daniel Hudson. So that was something where it's not just the evaluating of the prospect, but it's also evaluating of what the return in a trade that you're getting. So Mike Rizzo, again, kind of a crafty move right there, a one-for-one you get Daniel Hudson for a guy that uh, doesn't project to be in the Blue Jays' near future plans, at least. Right. So you're, you're looking at that trade value, what you get back, just as important as just the, the prospect at his face value. Uh, you look at the rest of that 2017 draft, draft, Seth Romero took in the first round, 25th overall. He's it's, He made his debut this year. Kind of, he's he's tough to tell. He's he kind of fits into the Nationals' recent trend of of picking pitchers, picking pitchers that have injury history. With Seth Romero, it's been behavioral issues. You know, he got kicked off the team at Houston. Um, so it's kind of a guy that maybe they saw a lot of talent in, but fell because of because of issues. Um, and right now, thirteen point five ERA, not great. Um, kind of not a great return on, on that pick. Yeah, I mean, the, I think the jury's still out for Seth Romero. I mean, yes, the office field issues. I think the Nationals knew what they were getting themselves into. I mean, oh, this was did, a risk. Absolutely. This was absolutely a risk because I, I remember that draft very vividly that the report on Seth Romero was he is has top 10, top 5 stuff. But the off the field issues is what going to make him slide down the board. And the fact that he lived, fell to their lap, Mike Rizzo felt safe uh, taking a chance on him. And then again, also trusting the process behind that they instill when they draft pitchers of developing them, mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Maybe he just needed a change of scenery. Maybe he needed a little more discipline. You can get that at the major league level or, or at least through a major league organization. Um, it was definitely a risk, but we saw him make his debut in, in three games this year, and he has the stuff, and he's a left-handed oh, yeah. power pitcher. And, you know, he didn't finish the season. He broke his hand in, in a freak accident um, at, at, uh, in a stairwell, I believe it was, in the middle of the season. So it was, it was unfortunate that we only got a flash of Seth Romero to start the season or, I guess, to start his career with the Nationals. Mm-hmm. But looking back to the draft and then his first uh, spring training invite, he's basically being sent home. Um, from camp because of behavioral issues. He's come a long way from 20, that's 2017, 2018 spring training to now making his debut. Davey Martinez trusting him enough to put him out there. Mike Rizzo trusting him enough to elevate him, to put him at the alternative site. Um, I would say the jury still, I mean, yes, you take a picture like that in the first round, and you probably would have expected him to make his debut already, if not be a, a more involved uh, in 2020. And he wasn't, which is unfortunate. But I, I still think that there is potential there. Mm-hmm. And uh, clearly the Nationals aren't giving up on him because they, they could have just cut ties with him relatively easily. I don't think he even missed a, a chunk of one of those seasons with an injury as well. Uh, might have been 2018 or 2019. So they could have easily cut ties with this kid. Mm-hmm. They have not. They're sticking with the process. They're sticking with him and, and trusting that they can turn him around and be, make him a quality major league pitcher. Now you, you can definitely tell the organization – sees value in him and uh, you know we'll see it was definitely a high risk pick but with that could come a high reward and mm-hmm. you know we'll see how how Seth Romero continues continues to pan out let me fast forward to 2018 um there no, is there anybody else in 2017 you want to touch on that you will crow it was the second round pick right there um 65th overall he made his debut this year he's the number 30 overall pot prospect currently for the nationals that's a name that nationals fans have mm-hmm. probably been pretty familiar with um, especially um, Byron Kerr's uh, minor league coverage on the website on MastinSports.com. Um, three starts, tough outings for Will Crow. His ERA is above 13 or around 10, I believe it is, mm-hmm. um, and it, over his three starts. Still, I, I, I recall Davey Martinez saying that they like what they saw at least. You know, you don't think he went past three innings in any of his starts. Um, the stuff seems like it's there. If I recall for Will Crow, it was more control issues. He was a little more wild, but he has the speed. I think I believe his fastball was close to 100, if not topping 100. Um, and, you know, he was a guy, and he's a power righty, and that's right in Mike Rizzo's wheelhouse. That's oh, yeah. why he liked second overall, I mean, second round, 65th overall. Um, jury's still out, I think, um, Will Crow, clearly, because he's only made three major league starts. But he's a high prospect that is close to breaking through um, into maybe this Nationals rotation in the next year or two. Mm-hmm. And, and it'll be exciting to see what comes from him. I mean, then all of the Nationals' top 10 prospects are pitchers. Only mm-hmm. three of those are lefties. So just like you said, you know, right in Mike Rizzo's wheelhouse, 18 of their top 30 prospects are pitchers. So mm-hmm. a lot of pitchers on that list. Yeah, with uh, Carter Keeboom and Luis Garcia, and I guess losing prospect uh, designation. Graduating, gra- yep. gra- Graduating. So that's just filling more space for pitchers to take that top 10. And, you know, Mike Rizzo sees that, and he loves it. Uh, I, I've obviously would like a little more balance there, but like we said, this organization values pitching, starting pitching. These guys are going to be parts of the future, and we're going to get into a couple names right here um, that I think people will be way more familiar with and are looking forward to seeing in the next year or two. 
Mm -hmm. Uh, 2018, they took Mason Denneberg with the 27th overall pick. Um, He was out all last year recovering from a shoulder injury. Um, But Sam Nairn said his recovery looks great. His velocity is there. And the COVID break, he thinks, only helped him. It gave him a chance to focus on his rehab, focus on his shoulder. And he's right where where he needs to be. He's the Nats' number 27th overall prospect. And he's a guy that they took out of high school. So kind of has, has a little bit longer of a timeline. But he's a guy that the National could see pretty soon Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely and moving forward like this 2018 draft there's our guys in the top there's two guys in the top 10 Mm -hmm. um from their first two picks mason dunnerberg tim kate a righty and a lefty seventh overall eighth over i mean these guys have been neck and neck with each other since they were drafted in terms of his organization uh tim kate has been projected to debut as early as next year uh mason dunnerberg maybe because again with that philosophy of taking their time and developing probably not to the year after according to MLB pipeline his projection debut isn't until 2022 so but again two guys their first two picks of that draft pitchers starting pitchers mm-hmm. uh righting a lefty they're looking to develop and and these are two names that Nationals fans have probably become more familiar with uh, in the past couple of years since they were drafted because of how fast they've skyrocketed through this farm system and their rankings. Right, and you know this is an aging rotation at the major league level, so they're going to need to see some of these guys. And you look for for the Tim Cates um, of that prospect list to make their debut soon and maybe fill in some spots in that rotation. Um, turn, turning to 2019, another guy with injury history they took with Jackson Rutledge, you know, fitting right into that trend of taking pitchers and finding guys late in the first round, high risk picks with injury history and hoping that they can develop them and turn them in and, and flip them to get to the major league level, uh, pretty quickly. Um, he's right now the Nats number one overall prospect, of course, 2022 debut, uh, projection. At instructs, he was just really working on his command. You know, he has a lot of command issues. He has great stuff, but but it's at his command. And um, you know, Sam Nairn said he made great strides. He figured some stuff out, um, and hopefully, that's that's a name that the Nationals will see at the major league level within the next couple of years. Which is crazy too, believe because this guy when he's drafted has, has jumped up the levels. But he's already at Hagerstown. Oh, yeah. um, I think that's the highest he's gone. Which having been drafted only two years ago is pretty impressive. This guy is. So big too, six eight two twenty two fifty. Excuse me. Um, Jackson Rutledge is like the prototypical big power uh, right-handed pitcher that the Nationals emphasize and want. So no question about it that he they have high expectations for him. It's a no doubter that especially now that Keyboom and Garcia have graduated, he's the number one overall prospect. His debut is still two years away. Probably go again back into that philosophy. They want they want him to hit double A. They want him maybe hit triple A a little bit before bringing him up fully. And like you said, the right now the major league rotation is pretty stock full. But we'll see what happens after next year with Max mm-hmm. Scherzer. You got Strasburg and Corbin for the near future. We don't know what the future holds for Joe Ross, Eric Fetty, and Austin Voth mm-hmm. uh, for that later has. So maybe that is somewhere where they foresee um, uh, Jackson Rutledge filling in in a year or two at the back end of that rotation. And then as these guys get later into their contracts and in their careers, elevating more to the higher portion of the, of the rotation. Yep. And then you look at Matt Cronin. He went in that draft to a left-handed pitcher. He went in the fourth round. He's the Nats' 10th overall prospect. Projected debut 2021. Um, Sam Nairn was saying he he is a guy that really stood out at instructs to him. It's the first time that he's really gotten to see him. You know, these guys, it's kind of difficult because they didn't get a minor league season this year. Mm-hmm. So it kind of almost stunts their their development because 
there's nothing that supplements, you know, live, live game action. Um, but this is a guy he said has a great fastball, a curveball that matches well with that. Um, he said in his last inning at Instructs, he threw an immaculate inning, nine wow. straight <laughs> fastballs. They swung at every single one of them. So that's a guy that the, this organization might be pretty high on and look to make his debut as soon as next year. It's also impressive to, yeah, see him in 2021, but also looking through this list, uh, we, we singled out five guys from the 2019 draft. These are all guys that are already in the Nationals' top 30. So they were only drafted two years ago, and they're already in the top 30. Actually, these are all in the top 20. Jackson Clough is the, the shortstop, who's a six-round pick, is the 20th overall prospect right now. He's two years away. But, yeah, of these five guys, Matt Cronin, the one guy projected to make his debut next year. We'll see how he fits in this possible rotation. That's really fascinating about this stuff and that the immaculate ending and everything. Mm-hmm. Already getting high praise from the talent down there at, at the Instructs League. Uh, something to keep an eye on. Maybe that's not a name, too, Amy, that I think Nationals fans aren't too familiar with. Probably haven't heard Matt Cronin uh, being tossed around because of uh, Jackson Rutledge's, the Seth Romero's. We'll get into the Kate Cavalli's in a second. But that's a name maybe to keep an eye on who can maybe sneak in there. Uh, especially as a left-hander, and, and and do some damage. And that's what you want to. That's what you want to hear. You want to hear these names that you might not necessarily know as well, or guys that go a lot later in drafts, because that's where you see the real value. You get them for a lot cheaper, and you. It's great to hear that you know they're doing so well. You look at 2017, Gabe Klobosets. This is another guy that this organization is high on. That stuck out at Instructs. He was a a mid to late 30th rounder coming off of Tommy John, but he looks great, and they think he could could appear at the big league level pretty soon, mm-hmm. move up pretty soon. So those are the guys it's exciting to hear. You don't want to hear, you know, the, the, I mean, of course you want to hear your top prospects yeah, yeah. doing well and, and being able to move up, but it's those names that you don't hear as often, guys that went later, that you're going to see more value from, and, and that's exciting to see. That's another maybe aspect that we haven't talked about enough in this conversation is the value they're getting, especially in their draft. Yeah, I look Thinking back to Jackson Rutledge, now the number one overall prospect, taking 17th overall, they signed him under slot value uh, at 17th overall for that year at only about $3.45 million. Um, so that's something that also the Nationals are being able to get. Or may, that also maybe ties into the going after Seth Romero. They're getting mm-hmm. guys who are falling down the draft boards that they think highly of that they can also sign for less because they're slipping. Whether that be because of injury history, obviously the Seth Romero issues, or for whatever reason, they're falling down the draft board. We all even saw with Kate Cavalli this past season, who we uh, are going to talk about in a second. It's just that they're value, maybe valued higher, but not drafted higher, for whatever reason that might be. Mm-hmm. You know, we saw that a lot. Rutledge and Cavalli are the two names that stick out, and Romero, the three names that stick out the most when you talk in this conversation of guys who projected to be top 10 talent, but didn't go in the top 10 or 15 or whatever it may be. And then the Nationals scoop them up and are able to sign them for a, a lower value than what they maybe would have originally gotten. And sometimes, you know, that that works out great. They're high-risk picks, you know, whether it's injury or behavioral issues. Um, they fall to them. They can sign them for cheaper. Um, and then it ends up panning out, and they end up, you know, filling these what could be potential holes in this rotation, and it works out perfectly or it doesn't work out so well because they're high-risk picks or you find those guys late in drafts um, that, you know, you, you don't have to have to pay and they're diamonds in the rough, mm-hmm. you know, and that, that shows probably more value than finding talent early on in the first round that, you know, that shows more, shows more value. Yeah, another name maybe, just and this is not a pitcher, this is a position player, is Drew Mendoza also taken in this draft. Um he was drafted as, I think, a third baseman, mm-hmm. but the Nationals immediately moved him over to first. His, his defensive scouting was – grades were not great coming out of college. Um, 
And so they immediately moved him over to first, and he has since been really good. Uh, he's not projected to make his debut for a couple more years, though. Mm-hmm. It's not going to be an immediate fill next year. Uh, obviously, first base is a position that we talked about a bunch that's still very much up in the air for this major league team. Uh, but he's someone waiting in the wings. Um, and, you know, a guy like Jake Noah, who we mentioned on earlier, is also there. One of these guys has to step up and maybe be the first baseman of the future because you can only do a, a revolving door of Zimmerman, Howie Kendrick, and somebody else for so long before they have to call it quits, right. retire, whatever it may be. So they need a long-term first baseman. And and do they have one maybe in waiting in the wing in a Drew Mendoza? Or can Jake Knoll take a step and become a major leaguer, everyday major league first baseman? That's a question that I think Nationals fans will probably yeah. uh, are right in asking right now. That's obviously a long-term uh, issue right now because 2021 should be able to be patched together with some veterans. But first base, you know, Brian Zimmerman has held it on for so long. Adam LaRoche before him. It's been a solid position that's been held down from by veterans for a long time. But it's going to be a changing of the guard pretty soon. And here's a guy who was um, drafted in the third round back in 2019 who was cracking the top 10 of the Nats prospect rankings. Right. And, you know, I think what they like about him is, of course, they moved um, to first base full-time, and he could potentially be the Nationals' first baseman for a while, but he has that ability to p- play third, and you know they like that in the organization. Guys who have more value because they can play multiple positions, so he could play the other corner. He's a left-handed hitter with potential power, so I do look for Drew Mendoza to, to make his debut within the next two years. His projection is 2022. Yeah, and now here getting to some guys who definitely won't make their debuts for, for, a, while. A, for a while. <laughs> These guys were just recently drafted, 2019. Start with Kate Cavalli. Again, this is similar to Jackson Rutledge, a guy who was projected as a top 15, top 10 talent, but wouldn't go that high for various reasons. Um, had slight injury history at Oklahoma, but all accounts purposes have shaken that off. Nothing but good reviews, great reviews actually from him, from the summer camp, from the alternative training site, from fall instructs. Uh, Kate Cavalli looks like to be, he's the number two overall prospect right now. He looks like to be an immediate return uh, in terms of a first-round pick because we'll see him probably sooner rather than later, especially from the guys who were drafted in this uh, draft most recently in 2020. Right. Kate Cavalli, athletic kid, um, fastball mid to upper 90s. He has a curve, slider, changeup. Um, all of his stuff seems to be above average. Um, we won't see him for a while, but quickly, you know, moved up Nats second overall pick. They got great value, or second overall prospect, excuse me, but got great value in getting him in that number 22 overall pick. Yep, and he was signed for slot value, so it wasn't like they pay, overpaid him. I mean, mm-hmm. again, he's a, a, a talent that shouldn't have been available to him, and they were surprised that he was, had to take him. They were, he was, they were very high on him. They had a couple of pitchers thinking back on it that they were hoping would fall to him. Kate Cavalli was atop that list, and he did. Mike Rizzo had no hesitation in pulling that trigger. They were waiting for him. Um, and, and hopefully turn out well. And, you know, the velocity is getting back up there. I think, I recall, he was almost getting to the triple digits, um, either at the uh, 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 alternate training site or even maybe at Fault Instructs. Um, someone who projects really high. He, you know, we talked about it when he drafted him. If you're thinking of the Nationals 2023-2024 starting rotation, don't be surprised if you see a Jackson Rutledge and Kate Cavalli mm-hmm. at the back end right there um, as Steven Strasburg and Patrick Corbin are maybe coming down the end of their contract statuses um, and are the next wave of great young national starting pitchers to come up in, through D.C. For sure. And then you look at Cole Henry, who they got in the second round. 
Uh, he's the Nationals' fourth overall prospect. He's another talent that fell into their hands. And then Mitchell Parker, who they got in the fifth round, he's 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 a lefty. He's a big, physical kid. Um, his velocity may not be there right now, but he's a guy that you, you could look to to move up quickly. They got him in the fifth round, but another guy who you see more value if he moves up um, and can pre- perform at the big league level. Yep, not quite in the top 30 overall, but Holden Powell is a right-handed pitcher they got in the third round who was their 30th overall prospect. Um, again, just of the five picks they made, I think six of them, or no, sorry, uh, four of them, only Sammy and Infante was the – oh, no, they drafted a catcher too. So four were pitchers. Just, again, emphasizing the starting pitching and getting – especially in a shorter draft. We talked about this too when we previewed the draft. You only get so many picks. We know which way this team's going to lean, especially with that mm-hmm. first-round pick. Uh, and they felt they came through only drafting a catcher and shortstop. Other than that, were all pitchers. And that's something you're kind of seeing more across baseball in general is the uh, influx of pitchers being drafted and teams wanting to draft um, pitching from within because it's it or develop pitching from within because it's cheaper. I mean, arms on the free agent market are expensive, and it's a lot easier and a lot better if you can get some of these arms under your hands early on in the draft and then develop them from within. I think a good example of that is is the Cardinals. Um, they've done a great job of, of developing their pitchers. you got a lot of look, Jack Flaherty, a talent, late in the first round, and you look at how he's performing. Yeah. So a, a lot of the best organizations in baseball are turning – to developing pitchers from within. So I think it's a trend we're going to continue to see across the board. Yeah, and then the defending World Series champion Dodgers are now a team that also does that very well. Mm-hmm. And the year before that, of course, the Nationals. Uh, I think you're right. I think that's a good trend to follow. And and Mike Rizzo has been ahead of that trend. You know, he's been doing this for over a decade now of, of emphasizing starting pitching. They've proven they can win that way. Um, and they're going to continue trying to building that model. And I think that it's also when you get guys – like Cavalli and Rutledge, into the system, guys who have the high ceiling, the talent that can be at this level, they are so excited to join this type of organization because they know that's where they emphasize and value the starting pitching, and they're going to get the best development process possible uh, through coming up as a national as opposed to maybe a team that doesn't, uh, you know, I mean, I, I don't know the Rays, but, like, their philosophy in terms of pitching is very different from the Nationals. Oh, yeah. So, as you're a starting pitcher, you'd probably rather be joined the Nationals system as opposed to the Rays. No offense to the Rays, but it's just that their, their philosophies are different. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think that's something that they've built over the past decade over. Uh, and, and with Mike Rizzo, it's, it's, it's an interesting way to go about it. Uh, and we talked about, you know, going back through the names – They've gone different routes with a bunch of different guys. You know, even the position players, they've used them in trades. They've developed them. They've, they've done a really good job, I think, overall. You can nitpick here and there, but overall, in terms of drafting guys, choosing which ones to develop, choosing one to part ways with, uh, using trades, and I think this is a very well-balanced throughout mm-hmm. the organization, top to bottom, of how Mike Rizzo handles each part in terms of an influx of young talent, and then where they go from there. And that's what it comes down to is you just need balance. Everything's not going to work out, right? You just want more things to go right for you than go wrong. You want more returns on your trades to work out. You want, you know, more draft picks to make it, yep. than your first-round draft picks to make it, then don't. Um, so not everything's going to go right, but but you need a balance. And if more things go right than wrong, it works out. Yeah, yeah. it's always going to be a shot in the dark. You never know. 
especially when it comes to drafting in baseball in a normal season too. It's going to be very uh, difficult with all the influx of players that you get to take a pick from and then just hope a handful pan out. So we'll see how it turns out. Of course, um, hopefully getting back to a sense of normalcy in 2021, maybe a minor league season, get some of these guys out uh, and playing in actual games. We'll have some tape on them and, and some highlights and some more in-depth analysis on them. Um, of course, Byron Kerr has you covered on MassInSports.com. He broke the minor league news this morning or helped break it. Um, so we'll have you covered across the board, not just at the major league level, but down through the uh, of all the minor league affiliates and, and throughout the farm system uh, on Mass and All Access as well. And here on the Mass and All Access podcast uh, for this week, uh, that's going to be it. Uh, we really appreciate everyone tuning in on Facebook, on YouTube, on Twitter. Uh, at Amy Jennings Noon for Amy. I'm at Bobby underscore Blanco. Big shout out to Brendan Mortensen for running the board behind the scenes. Of course, follow the Mass and All Access podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, wherever you find podcasts. You can follow the Mass and All Access podcast. Rate, subscribe, review. We really love uh, all, all the feedback and, and you guys spreading the word. We really appreciate you guys tuning into the show. We're going to take a break next week for the Thanksgiving holiday. We hope everyone has a safe and enjoyable holiday next week. We'll be back the following week previewing the what would be winter meetings and maybe putting on our GM caps and thinking of some free agent signings or trades the Nationals could uh, make ahead of the what would have been uh, the winter meetings. For Brendan and Amy, I'm Bobby. Thanks again for tuning in, everyone. Stay safe. We'll see you in a couple weeks.